Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 15th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier, and Jan Simpson. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released September 1st, 2022, and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Peter, can you please hold up today's newspaper to the podcast? Because people, uh, you're actually with us here live this week. People did not believe that you were not here live last week. Is that true? People emailed and said, Peter really wasn't there? And I was like, no, 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 we pre-recorded and got him in. He was doing other stuff on the Sunday. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. Also with this is Jan Simpson. Jan is a theater journalist who writes for writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts the Broadway Radio podcast Stagecraft and All the Drama. She has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. That's foreshadowing. Hello, yes. Jen. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, Michael, you are hard at work at the Boys from Syracuse concert uh, coming up yeah. at 54 Below on June 16th. Get yeah. your tickets now. Thank it's you. It's not a big room, and it is a hot ticket these days. So, Michael, <laughs> what is going on? Oh, well, uh, you know, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, still, we're still rehearsing. We're trying to get... Um, we're trying to get someone very special for there's a cameo role at the end uh, of the show of the Cirrus. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there is a possibility, which, of course, I can't mention because right. it's not definite yet. So yeah. uh, we'll see. I will keep you apprised of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can get some guy named Boo Flackman, you know? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to give away his real name, but Boo <laughs> Flackman. So... Um, that is coming up as well on June 16th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can get over to uh, 54 Below and join Michael for this wonderful evening. And also, Michael, you uh, got over to the Sh- Stephen Schwartz Gala uh, that we talked about last week. So how was yeah. that? Oh, it was great. It was on Monday the 9th at Merkin Hall. And it was quite an evening with quite a cast. Christine Andreas, uh, Liz Calloway. Uh, Scott Coulter, who uh, put the whole evening together. Uh, Jason Grodd did not make it. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. But Debbie Gravitt, Jessica uh, Hendy, uh, Rupert Holmes um, uh, spoke, and he, he was delightful. Uh, Sally Mays, who we don't see too often. Uh, Kurt Peterson, Kelly Rapke, uh, Terry Ralston, uh, Michael Roberts, Paul Schaefer. Um, I have to say that both Terry Ralston and Kurt Peterson sang from the Baker's Wife, mm. which was really quite a long time ago, and they both sounded incredibly good. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, so it really uh, that was of all the highlights of the evening. I think those were two of them. Uh, Terry sang, of course, her her big song from the chanson. Beautiful. Song. And then uh, Kurt, <laughs> Kurt sang both. Um, uh, he sang a large chunk of uh, the song that I believe is called Serenade, mm-hmm. uh, which is a beautiful number that's not done too often. And then he uh, did all of Proud Lady mm-hmm. in the original version, which he introduced with, you know, this big disclaimer about how nowadays it's really not um, considered 
well, the character is not considered politically correct, but of course he never was intended to be. Yeah, um, he's the villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, the, the lyrics have been softened over the uh, year, uh, by Stephen Schwartz to make uh, him uh, not not as predatory, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but Kurt saying, you know, so here, here, he said, here's the original version, you know, for what it's, you know, for, for good or bad. This is what it was. And he just sounded, as I said, he sounded great. So it was an amazing evening. And Stephen himself was there and, and spoke and it was it was really quite quite special. Let me ask you a tangential question mm. here, Kelly Rabke. Yeah, uh, you know, I loved her in Joseph so many, so many, so many years back, and it seems like that's the last thing on Broadway that she's done. Do you know if did she go into film and television, or what happened, or did she kind of just uh, change her focus of her life, or what happened? It says here, uh, since you ask, I'm looking at her bio, and it says, after leaving the bright lights of the stage to start a family, uh -huh. she is now a staple in the concert world, performing with yeah. symphony orchestras across seen, the yeah. country, yeah, and creating her own cabaret show. And there's another person whose voice is still in phenomenal shape. Uh -huh. uh, so she, um, you know, so maybe she can make up for some lost time. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen her uh, in in the concerts that she does very often, but I always wondered why is she not back on Broadway? But that answers the question. You know, the, the, uh, the symphony concert circuit is, uh, yeah. is a very nice life. It mm -hmm. can be. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, Jim Brochu was also uh, in the cast and he, I didn't realize he, he, he went to Carnegie, melon with with steven or i think it was called carnegie tech at the time uh -huh. uh, but uh yeah and they knew each other like when they were kids <laughs> absolutely true in fact they went to the second performance official performance of fiddler on the roof together and he talked about that he said that, did he really uh, oh how he funny. went into a whole thing about how they had gotten the uh, tickets through uh, the friend of his father's who right. was a ticket broker <laughs> but then they showed up at the theater and it was one ticket in the envelope uh, uh, so somebody wound up in S22. I, re I remember that part of the story. <laughs> yeah, he said he said he said, fortunately, he said, thank God, the ticket brokers uh, office was literally next door to the. It was. Theater. Yeah. Yeah. So I they went that. in and they they threw themselves on the mercy of whoever. I don't know if that guy was there or whoever. And they somehow got another ticket for the hottest show in the in town. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The day those <laughs> reviews came out, you bet. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's really wonderful. Uh, <laughs> that's a great, great, great story. To the uh, is it to the left of the Imperial where there's a big empty spot now, or it's to the <laughs> yeah. right of the Imperial? I you thought know? it was <laughs> to the left. To the left. Yeah. You know, if you're standing in front of it to the left, yes. Yeah. I remember going in there and many times asking for tickets to hits and um, rarely getting accommodated. <laughs> really. So speaking of hits, uh, Jan. <laughs> You got over to the Signature Theater to see A Case for the Existence of God, which seems to be a hit. So tell us about this uh, play. It deserves to be a hit. Um, this was uh, sort of a late, a late entry in the season or a very early entry <laughs> in the new season. I don't know. It's a play by Samuel D. Hunter. Um, and he's done a, a lot of things, um, uh, Pocatello, The Few, 
um, the whale, right? The yeah. whale. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's done um, a bright new Boise. Uh, Greater Clements was, I think, his last play, which was at Lincoln Center in 2019. Oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's great. But, well, actually, he's he's a certified um, MacArthur genius. So he's great. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> They certify uh, those. They certify. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, this new play, which opened at a Signature uh, Theater and has uh, been extended, um, it's been extended now through uh, May 29th. Uh, this week uh, won the Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play and, and really deservedly. It's a two-hander. It stars the actors Will Brill and Kyle Beltran. And um, I believe they were roommates at Carnegie. Oh. <laughs> wow. There's a Carnegie theme here. Yeah. Um, but they were they were roommates uh in college and in training. Um and both have had very nice careers uh over the years. Um I haven't seen Will Brill as much. Um I have seen Kyle Beltran in a number of things. They were directed by David Cromer, and that um probably contributes to the fact that they're both superb i mean they're just wonderful mm-hmm. in this play about two men um it takes place in um great falls idaho all of uh, sam samuel uh, hunter's work takes place in idaho uh where he's from and one of them uh is a black uh a guy who is a mortgage broker he is also gay and the other is a white guy who is trying to buy some land um, that he wants to build on. And he works in a factory, uh, in a yogurt factory. They went to high school together. They did not run in the same circles. They did not know one another well. As a matter of fact, um, the uh, uh, black character says he was bullied Um by uh, the other guy when uh, they were uh, in college. The black guy's name is Keith. The white guy's name is Ryan. Um, they, uh, Ryan come, uh, I'm sorry, Keith comes from, uh, his father's a lawyer. He went to college. He uh, majored in English and early music. Um, he comes from a very affluent uh, background. Ryan's parents were addicts. He's uh, grew up in um, a, a, a trailer, mobile home kind of existence. The thing that brings the two of them together is that they're both fathers. Uh, Keith has been uh, uh, foster parenting uh, a little girl about 18 months. Um, he, he's trying to uh, adopt her now, but one of her blood relatives has surfaced and is contesting his uh, adoption. Um, Ryan is in the middle of a divorce and his wife wants to have sole custody of the child uh, who is also an 18 month old girl and he is fighting to get joint custody. The entire play takes place in this very small space, which represents uh, uh, Keith's office. Um, 
but over a period of time. And we see their relationship growing. We see um, uh, they're growing empathy for one another. The thing that a lot of people have talked about, the fact that it looks at male friendship, which is something that we don't often see, that it talks about fatherhood and the importance of uh, fatherhood, particularly to so many young men today. The thing that really knocked me out about this play is that although it's very small, it's looking at where we are as a country now. These two very different guys, sort of red state, blue state, finding common ground. Um, the word God, I don't think is ever mentioned <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> in, in the play, but at the end of it, you feel that Hunter has made a case for the existence of God. And that is um, hope that we all have hope for a better life, for something better. And that if we can just recognize that in one another, that maybe things in this country will be better. I thought it was just a marvelous play. Hmm. All right. Peter, you saw it as well. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, same thing. Um, I was just going expecting to uh, have a great deal of discussion about God and uh, was pretty stunned when indeed uh, the word didn't even show up once. And I was paying attention, waiting for it uh, as somebody who has a great interest in, in plays about God and has even written one. But um, I, I have a feeling <laughs> that while there's a case for an existence for God, what happens uh, at the end of the play really involves much more of a coincidence than um, a case for an existence of God, because there is so m- I remember a, a writer I knew said um, I was doing a book on coincidences and I asked uh, people hmm. to um, send in uh, coincidences that have happened in their life. And he said, and it filled my entire office because people always started with you're not going to believe this story. I mean, <laughs> is, this is amazing. So uh, so <laughs> I guess it's a case for an existence of God, but I think it's also a case for an existence of um coincidence now that said let me say something else about this this is a very small play i don't mean the sense that it's small in its achievement no not at all however it's uh, a two-character play and even at the end when you get two different characters they are played by the same two uh, actors so but it's on signature's big stage and frankly um if you're looking at the stage uh, it's positioned a little much to the left rather than center stage and i guess they want to suggest that it's left of center i don't know but um i have a feeling this play is going to get done a great deal as time goes on but i won't be surprised if many regional theaters put it in its second stage they may not because it has a reputation now and yes those drama critics in the circle certainly endorsed it and that's really quite <laughs> nice but <clears throat> uh i i do feel it's a smaller play than uh, than it seems to be i'm only talking about the size of it i'm not talking about uh, the achievement but um it's a smaller play and deserves to be in a smaller space uh, just so everybody can enjoy it a little more i felt a little m- removed from it i was on the uh, right side uh, where where it wasn't um, uh, too uh, accessible. And um, again, the, the, the signature space, maybe they just felt this is going to be a very popular play and we're going to ne- uh, need to accommodate a lot of people. That's true. 
That's true. So um, perhaps the end does justify the means. But but for those of you who do have uh, regional theater or community theater spaces and you're looking to the future, um, this is a good one for you in, in your small space. Okay, so that is A Case for the Existence of God uh, over at the Signature Theater. It's playing through the 22nd, so just about a week left in its no, run. Extended no, extended to the 29th. Yeah. Yep. Ah, okay. Extended to the 29th. I've updated that. Now we are all in sync. We know that listeners here on Broadway Radio are a different breed of Broadway fans and especially Broadway podcast listeners, and we appreciate that. We love you and embrace you. But if you do love what we do here at Broadway Radio, giving you a little bit more of an inside look behind the scenes of Broadway, then TEDx Broadway is something that you need to be a part of. It will be coming to you live from New World Stages on Tuesday, May 17th, and you can either get tickets to be there in person or you can live stream it via Stellar. They will have a wide range of speakers and performers that are going to take the stage to ask what's the best that Broadway can be. That's a conversation everybody here at Broadway Radio have had many, many times trying to see what can be changed both from the forward-facing outlook of what Broadway does as well as the -the behind-the-scenes things as well. This is a milestone event for TEDx Broadway because it is the 10th year that they will be doing that. So they are pulling out all the stops for TEDx Broadway 10. So make sure that you come and lend your voice and shape the future of Broadway. You can get more information by visiting www.tedxbroadway.com. You can follow them on Twitter at TEDxBroadway. All right. Talking about small little intimate spaces, Michael got over to the New York City Center uh, (laughs) to see a production of Into the Woods, uh, a special two-week run of Into the Woods, which is very, very buzzy around New York right now. Tell Mm -hmm. us, Michael, what did you think of this production? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the size of the theater because uh, that is the first thing I wanted to discuss. I think... um, there's a general truism that very large theaters are not good for laughter and comedies Mm. uh, because Mm. uh, of the, uh, the time that it takes for, for a a, a line to register and for the whole audience to respond. And, and and there are all theories about that. That that was a a big theory as to why uh, young Frankenstein Mm -hmm. uh, failed in that Mm -hmm. barn Mm -hmm. uh, of a theater on 42nd street. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this production completely disproves that theory uh, because I have never in my life heard an audience response like I have heard, uh, like, like I heard for this production. And I forgot to look up the current seating capacity of City Center. I know it was um, reduced somewhat when they renovated some years ago, but I think it's still around 2,300, 2,500, something like that. Uh, and that is considerably larger than than any Broadway theater. And plus, not only is the capacity larger, but it it, it is it does have a second balcony, which is um, not not so much remote from the stage as it is at a very steep angle. And so it's not an ideal space by any means. Uh, but I'm telling you, uh, you know, when this show was initially announced, I and I know several friends of mine all said the same thing. We do not need to see another production of Into the Woods. Uh, but then um, Sondheim died. 
And then they got a really, really good cast for this show. And so it sort of became a really big event. And I could not get a press ticket, but I uh, I managed to get a single ticket in the balcony uh, by going to the box office. And so I'm, I'm I'm really glad I did because it was quite thrilling. And I'm not even the biggest fan of the show, but I don't think you'll ever see um, a better production in terms of the cast. And also, as I said, the audience response, everyone there really, really wanted to be there. And in the beginning, I thought it might be a problem because there was a lot of screaming um, at the very beginning of the show. Uh, and I thought, oh, is this going to happen all through? But then uh, but no, uh, once it started, people I really felt like everyone's response to the jokes and the songs, uh, uh, everyone's laughter, everyone's applause was completely justified and organic. And it, it was really 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 thrilling um the cast is superb sarah Bareilles, you know who is not uh or at least didn't start out primarily as an actress uh she was just great as the baker's mm. wife mm. she she got every every laugh every every nuance uh, uh you couldn't ask for a better performance and uh, neil patrick harris who was in for Christian Borle, uh, who dropped out early on. I'm not sure exactly why as the baker uh, was, was her equal, but everyone else in the show, uh, Jordan Donica, who was back for the second weekend, um, second week. Uh, apparently he had been out the first week. Um, although I have to say when I, when I got there, uh, there was an insert in the program still saying that it was still the understudy. So that was a really unfortunate thing. Uh, and they, I wish they would be a little more careful about that. Um, but Annie golden, uh, Anne Harada, Heather Headley, uh, again, I'm not such a, such a great fan of Heather Headley. And I also thought that perhaps the witch didn't seem to be a perfect role for her. She was just, fantastic um danae benton uh sang beautifully and was just generally perfect as cinderella uh and uh everyone else who i don't want to leave anyone else david patrick uh-huh. kelly as the mysterious man and the narrator lauren mitchell uh, cole thompson david turner and kennedy kanagawa as milky white absolutely <laughs> Stole the show <laughs> with a puppet um, designed, as we mentioned uh, recently, by James Ortiz. Uh, the audience so fell in love with that, with the puppet and with the actor <laughs> that uh, I've never seen an outpouring of affection like that. And uh, this was all directed by Lear de Bessonnet, uh, who uh, did not direct the, 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 the most recent two shows at city center uh, encores, which were pretty much universally panned. Uh, but she did uh, approve them because she's also the artistic director of encores. And I guess she got a lot of heat for that. And a lot of people are feeling that this did a, a great deal towards, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, making people feel better about her uh, at the helm of encores. So let's hope that we, in the future, we have more of this and not more of what happened with those other two shows. Uh, Oh, and this was also uh, Rob Berman's, apparently his official last um, 
uh, last show as uh, music director of Encores. I, I suppose he might we might see and see and hear him again, um, you know, for individual productions. But but that was announced, and he did a he did a great job. Um, uh, if they do move this, and there is a lot of buzz about that, as there always is when when something is a big success, there um, they are going to have to add a lot because uh, it was not. Uh, there were things that for that were perfectly acceptable for a concert presentation, but wouldn't be uh, really acceptable, I think, for a full production on Broadway. For example, the witch's transformation, uh, the way that the giant was uh, was portrayed, I thought I felt was <laughs> was not very uh, not very effective, and things like other technical things of that sort. But really, I I I'm so glad that I made a specific trip to the box office and managed to get a single balcony ticket for this because it was quite special. Mm. So that is uh, Into the Woods at City Center. I think it plays through today, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe so. 15th, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it. So we'll <laughs> keep you apprised, uh, apprised about uh, <laughs> if it is going to transfer. There is so much talk about that, but... Uh, I don't will know. Be, it will be difficult to keep everyone together. And if they don't keep everyone together, then, you know, that you know, it's like they caught lightning in a bottle and yeah. then you'll not mm. be able to reproduce it. All right. So next up, we have uh, Jan and Peter got to Which Way to the Stage at MCC Theater. So, Jan, tell us about this. I'll let Peter start it. I, I <laughs> okay. talked about the other. All right. Peter, <laughs> what do you think about this? <laughs> well, um, uh, I'm very confused by this one from the beginning because we have two people standing at the stage door waiting for Adina Mazel to come out and uh, sign their programs. Uh, just a simple greatness by association situation. And sure, a couple of things on that. Yay. Yes. No question. People wait for Adina Menzel. Yes. All set. Um, but only two. I'm a little surprised at that. <laughs> little surprised at that. And if I were Dina Menzel, I'd be a little insulted. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but the other thing that really surprised me is these are people who are in the business. Usually people who stand at stage doors waiting to have programs autographed are not people in the business. And both of these people have aspirations to indeed perform. So I was very, very surprised to see that happen. I also thought the play ended very abruptly, and I was very surprised to see that it was the end of the play. Okay, so what's going on? Yes, um, they meet somebody else. And indeed, um, there may be a romance budding. And the romance that may bud, indeed, um, is a little surprising, not amazingly surprising anymore. So I bet you already infer what's going on, because one of these stage door Johnnies is a stage door genie. Um, I don't mean genie in the Aladdin sense. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, um, so it's uh, the eternal triangle story. Which of these two people is going to wind up getting uh, this um, very hunky, uh, attractive guy? Well, I think even from what I've been saying, you can infer what the, and I put quotation marks around this word, surprise is, um, which wasn't so surprising because in a play like this, one of two things has to happen. So um, uh, a perfectly decent evening. uh, But once I found out that these were people in the business, I was a little surprised. So good luck to everybody. Jan, what did you think? Um, I think I liked it more than Peter did. Uh, I thought I wasn't going to like it in, in the opening scenes when they were standing at the door waiting for Adina. It kind of reminded me of um, 
title of show. It hmm. was very insidery. There were a lot of insider jokes. And I think maybe that's why they were people in the business, because they were cracking all of these uh, inside jokes. And then it it sort of blossomed uh, out into, I think, uh, a play about friendship. Yes, uh, one is a, a gay man, the other is a straight woman. They're best buds. Um, this, as Peter said, hunky guy comes uh, in between them. But it's about the the limits of friendship. Um, how much do you support a friend uh, as opposed to tell a friend the truth? Um, they're both trying to have, have careers. Do you just say, yeah, that was fabulous. Or do you say that needs work? Um, do you, uh, are you allowed to say certain things, um, to use certain words? Uh, she uses the F word and he says, no, you can't say that. And she says, but this is me. And he says, yeah, but you can't use that word. She says, you use it. He says, I can, you can't. Um, all of these boundaries of, mm. of friendship, what, uh, how do you balance out your needs, your friends' needs? Um, I also thought that the the play, I don't know, I'd love to know if it were written for the two actors because it seemed to fit them so well. Um, and uh, I know the woman is Sass Goldberg. Um, and I didn't know the guy. I'm trying to... I'm vamping here as I try to uh, find his um, uh, name, which I'm uh, Max Jenkins. Yes. Thank you. Um, and it seemed as though uh, it was written for them. And uh, uh, so I ended up enjoying it. And I, and I also ended up thinking a lot about friendships and, and maybe that's just because it's so on my mind as we come out or we try to come out of this uh, pandemic yeah, yeah. <laughs> and try to reconnect with old friends and figure out what exactly is this relationship? So I, I, I enjoyed it. It's uh, by the playwright and actress, uh, Anna Nagira. Um, it's, uh, it was shut down. Uh, 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 this past week because of COVID. Um, so they've extended it through May 28th. Um, I'm not going to say this is the best thing you'll ever see or the best thing you'll see this year, the best thing you'll see this spring. But I, I, I do think it's, a, it's an interesting piece. Okay. So that is uh, playing at Theater Row. No, no, nope. no. I'm no, sorry. It's at no. MCC Theater. Right. Yeah. Manhattan yeah, Class. That's Manhattan. Uh, do they officially change their name to Manhattan from M Manhattan Class to MCC? Or I think they're I, just uh, MCC. They're just MCC. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So which way? Which way to the stage uh, at MCC? It's playing through May 22nd, so about a week left in that as well. No, no, no. Extended. <laughs> Extended. That one, too? Yeah. I'm getting bad information all over the place here. Extended. Because Ex of COVID, they shut down uh, for right. uh, yeah. a number of performances this week. Okay. Do we have an extension date? Uh, 28th, I think. 28th? 
Okay. All right. So, uh, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can officially see if you would like. Uh, Peter, you got over to the Agonquit Playhouse. Um, if they had to spell Agonquit on Wheel of Fortune <laughs> <laughs> uh, to see the share, to see the share show. So, tell us about this. Yeah, well, way back um, uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, when I saw Oklahoma at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, I was very impressed by a young woman in the cast, uh, and she was astonished that uh, in the talk session afterwards where I do the master class that I actually said, who was that young woman with the blue bow in the hair? And I mean, I had to do a whole description of her costume before she raised her hand and said, um, gee, do you mean me? And I <laughs> indeed did. Uh, this is Sarah Gettelfinger, who wound up in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Susical and uh, Nine, The Revival, and a few other shows, too. So here she is uh, playing Star in uh, the share show now star means share as share the share that uh, people came to know uh, once she and Sonny burst on the scene in the uh, mid 60s but there are two other shares as well now one is played uh, one is called babe because uh, of this famous song i've got you babe um that's the youngest one um lady is when share was um still uh, not a superstar so three people share the role uh, no pun intended with share the role so um, but uh, Sarah's magnificent in the part. I'm not surprised. There she is doing um, The Way of Love, um, getting a standing ovation uh, after the song. Uh, I will admit that's not unique, but it's still not common. So um, tremendous. Uh, looks like her quite a bit. Um, and uh, But I really want to also point out that um, Madeline Huddleston as Babe and Sharissa Hoagland as um, Lady, a terrific as well. This is a very good production. And Jerry McIntyre, um, who I first came to know uh, from Once on this Island, uh, decided to direct it. And uh, what a fine job he did. A terrific job keeping it moving. Um, Ongonquit is really quite a special place, a special, special place, because um, as uh, well, you go there and you see on the wall all the uh, posters of years ago. Uh, there's uh, Hans Conried, An Absence of a Cello, a play that uh, didn't last very long on Broadway in 1964. You see these vintage um, Vivian Vance in the time of the cuckoo, which became uh, the musical Do I Hear a Waltz. You see these posters. And what, what was going on then was that there was touring packages, you know, one week in Ongonquit, one week in uh, Beverly, mm -hmm. Massachusetts, one week in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. They used to travel around and that's what used to happen. Well, that's dried up uh, quite a bit. And um, so as a result, Ongonquit had to produce their own shows and that's exactly what they're doing and they did a bang up job with this also getting the bob mackie costumes so it looked like millions of dollars we can't say it looked like a million dollars anymore because that's not very much for a musical it has to be millions of dollars and that's what it looked like so a tremendous um production uh involving so much money on that stage so we really have to give so much so much credit to um the um the powers that be, uh, especially, as I say, the um, the uh, it could have been that this is one of those theaters that died. Uh, 
So many have died. I can't tell you how many theaters I went to in summer stock days that uh, are now shoe stores and um, not on Gonquit. And next up is going to be The Nutty Professor, the musical that Marvin Hamlish wrote with Rupert Holmes. And um, I went up uh, to Angonka with my buddy, Jay Clark, who is the smartest person I know when it comes to casting. I mean, he there's no you, you can't go five minutes without hearing Jay Clark say, you know, it'd be good in such and such, such and such. And you always say, wow, you're right. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, now that um, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is closing, I hope they get Rob McClure for that part. Ah. And I don't know if they're cast. I haven't heard any announcements. And I'm sorry, by the way, that Mrs. Doubtfire is closing. I went back again recently and he's still terrific and is still one of the best male lead performances I have ever seen in a musical. And again, I've seen 80 to 90 percent of the Broadway musicals of the last 60 years. So um, that said, after that, it's going to be Mr. Holland's opus. So they're doing new musicals as well hmm. before they do the uh, clue play. Um, so. Uh, I'm I uh, this is not the last time this season I'll be going to Ungonquit and I can only hope that the uh, two shows that follow match the intensity, love, attention to detail and performances, especially by Sarah Gettelfinger in the share show. Where exactly is it and how do you get there? Well, we drove. I mean, it's 297 miles from here. So um, it ain't too close. Um, but uh, frankly, I only drove to Berlin, Massachusetts, where Jay lives, and he took it from there. So I don't even know how to get there. Aconquit's in Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in Maine. I, I, I just, we didn't say that. So I just that <laughs> yeah, that's sure. true. You know, I, yeah. I, there I am assuming everybody knows that, but uh, there's ample reason to believe that nobody knows that. But people should know that. And uh, yes, Maine's. Um, pretty far away but um but i'm not sorry i made the trip okay so that is the share show at the agonquit playhouse we'll have a link to that in the show notes you can find the netty professor and all the other offerings there as well so uh jen you got over to <laughs> uh i didn't realize this but i guess this had happened a long time ago they're calling it the building for the arts which we call theater row is that <laughs> Are they interchangeable? Really? Uh, does anybody anybody that, know that? Is that what no. it's called now? Yeah, <laughs> building for the arts and theater row seem to, at least on their website, seem to be interchangeable. They're calling it building for the arts now. Okay. So uh, okay, <laughs> so where you saw Hitler's tasters? Uh, so tell us about this. Uh, this is one of those uh, shows where um, they take something in a historical setting and that they use modern language and modern music to tell the story. This is based on the real life uh, experience of a young group of women who had to taste Adolf Hitler's food so that if someone was trying to poison him, um, uh, they would fall ill or they would fall dead before he ate it. Um, uh, uh, I guess a few years ago, um, one of the, the last survivors of this uh, uh, either wrote a book or did a documentary or something about the experience. And it's uh, another, the play is by a woman named Michelle Colos Brooks. And it's another one of those plays, there have been a spate of them, where it's a group of young women, they are 
coming of age, experiencing what it feels like to be a young woman. Um, I'm think of, thinking of the Moors, Dance Nation, Kate Hamill's Little Women, Erica Schmidt's Macbeth, uh, Alexis Shares' Our Dear Drug Lord. Um, uh, and there's sort of a ritual factor. There's a lot of dancing and uh, and it's juxtaposed against Sahara of uh, throughout the play. And it's about 90 minutes of uh, sort of a bell rings and it's mind that they uh, are given a meal. They sit, they eat the meal and they're told if nothing happens after an hour, things should be fine. And so they sit and wait for an hour. So it's juxtaposed um, the horror of knowing that at any minute, even though you're a young woman, you could die um, as opposed to all of the things that young women um, are thinking about movie stars and um, uh, will is one of the guards cute um, all of those kinds of, of, of things it's um, it's an enjoyable uh, 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 evening. It's a little bit uh, slight, but the performances I thought were uh, were very, uh, uh, very good. And it's just sort of an interesting curiosity, just the whole idea of Hitler choosing young women to be um, uh, the sort of guinea pigs to taste his food. Mm. I saw it, too. In fact, I saw it for the third time because I oh. first I first saw it in Hackettstown, uh, New Jersey, where they have a wonderful uh, women's playwriting uh, prize and it won the prize. So I first saw it there and then it was done somewhere um, in the village. And I went um, maybe about two years ago. And so here it is again. No, I, I don't understand. And I keep waiting every time I go to expect that uh, the playwright will have eliminated this. But OK, um, there's some sort of non-realistic element to this play because they have cell phones and right. they take pictures. Right. And I don't understand why that's in there. Um, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. And it takes me out of the play tremendously, given the fact that it's needless to say, anachronistic. So um, many anachronisms in the play as well. Nevertheless, I did uh, when it when it centered on the issue without any of that stuff, um, I thought it was very effective and I thought it was very well staged. And the ease with which they um, take out their trays, uh, I thought was very cleverly designed as well. Mm -hmm. So um, but boy, was I frustrated by those anachronisms. I think that that's the, the one of the points she's trying to drive home that, you know, girls then girls now um, the, the, the commonality of the experience of being a young woman. Yeah. But I mean, given the fact that we are dealing with Hitler and given the fact that this is really a shocking situation, mm. there's such drama here. I mean, like I would have liked more drama involved with the fact that the moment you taste something, uh, yeah. oh, my God, uh, that tasted strange to me. Oh, uh, do you think this is it? Um, did it taste strange to you? I mean, there were so many things that could be dealt in this play that were taken up by time by taking selfies and uh, let's pose and all that kind of business. It's very effective when indeed you're used to seeing three ladies and then you see two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so there's a lot of drama there. And I don't know why you had to. I'll use the verb clutter the play with anachronisms. Hmm. 
Okay, so that uh, is Hitler's Tasters over at Theater Row. Did I get this right? It's through May 21st? <laughs> so, no, it's been extended. No, it's been extended. <laughs> forever. Call this the extended show. <laughs> so uh, it seems that uh, Building for the Arts is the organization that owns the Theater Row I building. They, they have a number of uh, different programs within Building for the Arts, and one of them is the Theater Row building itself. So it's, I always it's, did think it was kind of confusing that it yeah. that one building was called Theater Row, and even though I know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, Michael and Peter got uh, not together, but separately to two different <laughs> performances of A Few Good Men at the Bristol Riverside Theater. So, uh, mm. Michael, why don't you start us with this? Well, honestly, uh, I and a group of friends went primarily because our friend J. Aubrey Jones is in the show. Uh, and, you know, with I don't know what expectations we all had. Uh, I had never been to this theater. Um, and also, I I like the play based on having seen the original Broadway production and, and then also the film version. Uh, I liked it without loving it. Uh, I didn't remember all of the details about it. I had forgotten how long it was. Um, this production was, I think, three hours and one minute long, <laughs> including... Uh, the intermission. Uh, and, but I have to say right away that I did not feel there was any problem with the pacing. I thought the pacing was absolutely perfect uh, as directed by Ken K A I S S A R Kaisar. Uh, it, it, it was really, the dialogue was very crackling. The Aaron Sorkin dialogue, uh, was rapid fire when it needed to be, which is much of the time. And uh, the cast did a really superb job with the dialogue. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, that there was any uh, problem with the pacing being too slow. So that wasn't why it was three hours. I think it's just three hours uh, with, you know, including the intermission. Um, Anyway, this was a wonderful production with, uh, with really a really great cast i'm not s- sure let's see okay yeah uh, uh, um there are some equity people in the show and uh every single person was great it's quite a large cast for a for a straight play um but i must single out uh, i guess who would the two people who would be classified as the leads in the role of Daniel Caffey. We had a fellow named Sean Davis and in the role of Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Jessup, which is the Jack Nicholson role in the film, we had Richard B. Watson and they were both Broadway caliber uh, at least. (laughs) Uh, I, I can't tell you how much we all loved going to this little theater uh, in Bucks County, the Bristol Riverside Theater, and seeing such a wonderful production. Also, uh, I haven't mentioned that the physical production was was really top notch, and um, to have such a consistently great cast uh, in a, in a production at that level, I, I think is extraordinary. Where uh, this was the last their last show of the season, uh, and I'm going to definitely have to keep them on my radar for the future because it was great. And, and, and I'm not just saying this because I, 
I like him and he's a friend and he's in my boys from Syracuse show. <laughs> but Jay uh, really was terrific. Uh, in the first act, he played a, a relatively small role of one of the uh, one of the officers. But his main role was that of the judge at the trial. And he was just perfect. Uh, and I think he we, you know, we spoke with him afterwards and we had dinner with him before. And he he really, really loved the experience. He usually does musicals. Um, and he said this was his first um, his first show, his first contract in a non-musical in many, many years. And he was really glad that it came about and delighted that he signed on. And uh, we were delighted to all go and see it. All right. Peter, what'd you think? Well, yes, I went for Jay as well, who's done uh, readings of my new play, uh, Very Good Years, and has done spectacularly well by it. What's really great is the fact that he has to get the play going. He's in the very first scene. Yes. And, and um, you know, he sets the tone. Um, he, he gets in the, uh, the no-nonsense feel of it. So that's really quite good. I, too, was very impressed by the cast. But this is not my first trip to Bristol Riverside Theater. I love going there. It is literally, it, it's truth in advertising. It is by the river. It is. <laughs> and there's a beautiful little gazebo. And it's a great place to picnic before you go in. But once you get inside, you're going to see a good show. And Michael is uh, absolutely uh, in agreement with me. And I'm an agreement with him about a top-notch production and yes the set was really um quite um quite generous as well but mm. really when you think of it i mean uh, this is a, it's a this play is a miracle in the sense that it didn't have a regional tryout way back when it simply was produced on broadway and you would think that a number of producers would look and see wait a minute how many people are in this cast are you kidding me um because <laughs> really it's it's well right. over a dozen and uh, you know producers are always looking for two or three character plays and leaving it at that and uh so it was amazing if this got produced. And Aaron Sorkin wasn't Aaron Sorkin then. Um, we're really talking about, uh, was mm. it 30 years ago? Uh, mm. Something like that. Mm. And um, he, he didn't have the name that he has now. Now, of course, he has great, great name recognition and deservedly so, of course, done amazing things over the years. And I still am waiting for the musical version of an American president, which I hope he does. I'm not saying that's ever been on anybody's schedule. I just think it should be a musical. But that's another story. But anyway, uh, nobody is better at sarcasm than Aaron Sorkin, and there's plenty of it in this play, plenty of it indeed. So, um, so I also admired uh, Kurt Zischke as um, Matthew Markinson. Um, that's actually Captain. Um, uh, that's Captain to me, yes, indeed, um, who plays a very important role in the play, and uh, certainly Damon Benetti as uh, Jack Ross I thought was uh, very good. They're all good. They're all good, and of course, when we talk about anything like this, we also have to mention that there is a woman in the show, and that's uh, the character's name is Joanne Galloway, and Erica Strasberg did a very fine job. Now, here she is in a man's world, having to uh, come up with ideas uh, on how to make sure that um, the truth comes out, and uh, she runs into a lot of roadblocks here and there from men who uh, aren't quite willing to uh, give her all the respect uh, that she is due. They will give it to her as time goes on. Why? Because she comes up with good ideas. So um, it's all about working together. And so in the middle of a few good men, there's an extraordinarily good woman as well, both as a character and as a performance. So I'm delighted I took the trip. And um, certainly next year, I'll be going down there. Um, it's very nice they're doing chicken biscuits next year. I think that's great. Right. Yeah. Um, but they're also doing a world premiere of a play. Um, called a leg up and uh what's really interesting of course is the gentleman who uh directed this play wrote that one 
So we'll see uh, what's going on there. I, I imagine he'll direct it as well, but not necessarily, but we shall see what we shall see. I should also mention this cast even had a high school kid uh, in the role of one of the two defendants. Uh, Maddox Morfit Tig is his name, and it must be it must have been a thrill for him to be working with these incredible people. Uh, it's uh, let's see, um, I'm I'm counting the number of equity people in the cast: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight people, and then the rest were all non-equity. And I think it's great when there's a mix like that in, a, in a, at a theater like this, and people get to learn from other people, and and it's just such a positive experience i'm sure for everyone okay so that's a few good men at bristol riverside theater it's through may 22nd so you have about a week to see that as well uh jan you get over to playwrights horizons to see wish you were here so uh tell us what you thought about this this is a great year for Sanaz Tusi, mm, who yeah. is a young um iranian american playwright she uh, earlier this year had the play English at the Atlantic uh, Theater, um, and it just won the Lord Tell Award for Outstanding Play. Wish You Were Here is set in Iran. English was set in Iran, too. Um, is set in Iran among a group of young women who are friends uh, and the Iranian revolution is happening outside uh, later on because the play happens over a course of about 15 years. Later, the uh, war between Iran and Iraq is going on. But all of that is outside. And I think one of Tusi's real uh, missions, real drives, is to show uh, um, her character's as just full-blooded people, um, to not have them be exotic, to not have them be other. The women in this uh, play, and it is a play of all women, it's centered around feminine topics. It opens with a group of women preparing for the wedding of another uh, later, women have children. Some women leave Iran to uh, escape the difficulties there. Some come back. Some are religious. Some are not. They are, are as uh, they're sometimes foul-mouthed. They uh, are petty towards one another and then loving towards one another. Uh, it's a it's a re, it's a play that if you don't get the chance to see it, it is now at Playwrights Horizons. It's been extended a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, this time through June fifth, the latest through June fifth, but it is also available on Audible.com. And so um, you can listen uh, to the play uh, if you uh, can't see it. Uh, uh, she is someone we should all uh, keep our eyes on. Sanaz Tusi, uh, a really smart, interesting, and very original young playwright. I saw it too. And uh, what really impressed me was the fact, as you mentioned, they're foul mouthed. They swear, they smoke, 
But the third S, they have no interaction with before they're married. There's no sex. And, uh, and that's pretty potent to hear them um, be so much at home with things that are considered forbidden in many circles, you know, smoking and swearing. Um, and, uh, and yet they're so naive when it comes to sex, because that's what their religion demands, that you be chaste and pure for that wonderful wedding night that's going to be uh, just so terrific and, and they're wonderful. They're chaste and pure, but I don't know if they're naive. They talk a lot about sex. Absolutely. But nevertheless, they haven't done it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what's really interesting, because uh, they're in their 20s, I would say. And mm -hmm. uh, usually by that time, uh, mm -hmm. all of us have um, had experiences of that nature that have been denied them because of their culture, because of their religion. So uh, to see this missing piece of the puzzle was really fascinating to me. And yes, indeed, um, in, in the theme of what Gian has been speaking of today, friendships, uh, the friendships here that um, are lost because of uh, time and distance. Uh, will they ever be regained? Maybe. Uh, but uh, it also reminds us that we should cherish the friendships we have. And uh, may I point out that July 7th is International Forgiveness Day. Oh, so you have time. Yeah. <laughs> so you have time uh, to plan who you're going to forgive that has wronged you in your life. Uh, and on July 7th, get in touch with that person or people or crowds and say, um, listen, it's International Forgiveness Day. Um, let's make up. So, um, so I put that on my calendar. Yes. Why not? Well, Jan, you don't have to wait for that day. <laughs> it makes it easier, though. It makes it easier. It really does. You know, as I tell my wife, every day is Valentine's Day with her. Oh, how nice. That's so, great. Good only when I'm in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> so. All right. So. <laughs> that is Wish You Were Here, uh, Playwrights Horizon, as uh, Jan mentioned, extended through June 5th. So and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, our final review of this morning, I'm going to have to ask the three of you to help me to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Well, good luck. Okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> So this is all. This is actually a uh, production called Chekhov and Turgenev. Yeah, Turgenev. good, good. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Uh, where we have three sisters and about love playing in rep at the Sheen Center. Peter saw that, so uh, get me, save me from my own pronunciation, Peter. <laughs> No, you did very well. Um, nothing to be ashamed of. Um, no, um, a terrific uh, three sisters. I will say that Will Pomerantz um, has done a couple of things that I don't much like, but um, and I'll, I'll be very specific. One, uh, there's a marvelous scene where a messenger comes in and uh, talks to Andre. And well, he doesn't really. I mean, he's just there to uh, be a messenger and he's quite deaf and Andre has to get out all his feelings that he's had about uh, his situation with his marriage, which is, and uh, which is frustrating him tremendously. And the irony is of course that the messenger uh, doesn't quite hear him, but one of the great lines, the great lines um, is lost in this production. I don't know why Will Pomeranz dropped it. First off, what he did was he had the maid um, who's in the play, um, the servant, I should say, um, who plays a very important role as time goes on. We see why she's there and we see why somebody in the house wishes she weren't there, but that's another story. Anyway, he gives this role to her and she delivers the message. But anyway, in the, in, in the actual Chekhov play, we have a situation where he says, have you ever been to Moscow? 
And this Moscow, going to Moscow is the big thing in this play. They're in the, 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 the hinterlands. They've been there for 11 years, he and his three sisters. And um, there's always talk about, we got to get to Moscow. We got to go back. That's where life is. Um, this is a play that really indicates that um, the reason the word suburban has the word sub in front of urban is because it's below urban. And they're even below that because they're in the sticks. Okay. So anyway, the line that I'm missing is when he says to him, have you ever been to Moscow? And um, the messenger says, no, it was not God's wish. Well, you know, I mean, you can put it on God that you didn't get to Moscow, but maybe it's your responsibility to get there and you could have done it yourself. So I missed that. I also missed in the first uh, act, Natasha comes in. Now, Natasha is somebody who the three sisters believe is not up to their standard or their station. So she comes in and um, Olga, the oldest sister, says, um, oh, you know, that 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 belt doesn't really go with that dress. And what usually happens is that she specifically mentions that it's a green uh, sash. Okay. She doesn't do it here. And I'm surprised she doesn't because a few minutes later, Natasha says, well, you know, it's not really green when she's talking to Andre. And the point is that's, that's a very important um, line because we see there that Natasha has more backbone than we might suspect. And of course, once she marries him, uh, <laughs> this probably ties into what James was just talking about. Once she marries him, um, she very much uh, rules the roost and she really takes over. And uh, by the time the play ends, she's even criticizing somebody else's uh, dress. So so you really need Olga to say, oh, that green is wrong because she doesn't say it here. And then you have Natasha saying, well, it's not really green. Well, why would she say that if indeed it wasn't brought up in the first place? Okay, those are my objections. And um, but let's talk about the cast itself. So um, John Aline, a, a wonderful actor, uh, plays the doctor. And it's very nice that his wife is in the cast, too, playing uh, Anfisa, the uh the servant uh, doing a very good job. But of course, any three sisters is going to uh, rest on the three sisters themselves. And um, Amanda Christian Nichols plays uh, Masha, the one who married much too young. She was in love with her school teacher. She married him when she was 17. And as time has gone on, she realizes he ain't the man she suspected he was. Wonderfully different, different interpretation um, coming from uh, her husband, uh, really a terrific um, performance by Harrison Bryan, because I'm telling you, usually uh, he's played as silly. Now, there is a silliness about the character in the writing. Absolutely true. But but um, he is not over the top silly. And um, he reminded me a great deal of Orson Bean, if you remember that actor. So, um, but back to the sisters. Uh, Arena Essence Brown is her name. And um, I thought she was a little too loud and forceful at the beginning, uh, but uh, she certainly settled into it and was really, really quite wonderful. So I liked her very, very much. And Elizabeth Ramos is all Olga, the older sister, uh, quite, quite good too. So this is a story about how time um, doesn't heal all wounds, but time will wound you. And over the period of time, their lives, um, get more and more uh, dour and dire, for that matter. Um, Arena uh, wants to get married to the right man, and is he ever going to show up? And finally, she realizes he's not going to show up, so she settles for less. And as it turns out, we'll see if she even gets that. Um, so um, the, the person that, who's interested in her, Baron Tusenbach, is played by Tom Patterson, and um, he's very good as well. It's a very, very fine production. Now, 
rep. Uh, Will Pomerantz came out and said, you know, you'll see the same actors in the second show uh, about love. Not quite, not quite. It's only a six character show. And um, so you only get three people from the uh, Three Sisters cast. So, um, so if you're looking to see uh, the verisimilitude, you're not going to get it. But but um, this is based on a short story, and it is about a young man who falls desperately in love with a woman who believes she is the sun and the moon, and she has a million suitors. Well, obviously, she doesn't have a million if it's a cast of six, but she has plenty of suitors <laughs> who want uh, very much, very much to uh, win her hand. And... Uh, well, he's going to try very hard, but he has a rude awakening ahead of him, not just because he doesn't get the girl. No, no, it's more than that. Um, he's very, very upset at the way he loses her. Now, this is done in story style, uh, story theater style. So in other words, um, even though we have one actor telling the story ostensibly, and he says, here's what happened to me way back when, the other actors will play him, will occasionally take a line of dialogue and um, in his voice. So I don't mean his voice sounding like his voice, but I mean, the point is that they all share um, his his perceptions. So a very, 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 very effective staging by Will Pomerantz here. This, um, I don't know how much rehearsal time they have, but if they told me it was a year and a half, I'd believe it because, I, whoa, the stage pictures are just glorious and really quite amazing to see how everybody's in the right place at the right time and they have to do a million permutations of where they are and what they're doing and so on and so forth. And it was always crystal clear what was going on. So really a tremendous job of direction and stage um, by Will Pomerantz, and it has some songs in it with music and lyrics by Nancy Harrow, and there's some of the best songs I've heard this season. Terrific work from Nancy Harrow. Whoa, does this lady know from Melody? Whoa, can this lady rhyme? Whoa, can this lady come up with wonderful concepts for her songs? So while I didn't enjoy About Love as much, and I think it takes a little bit too much time to get to the big reveal of who's winning this lady, uh, because I did know the story before I went, uh, the fact remains that it is dazzling to watch and terrific to listen to. Okay. So that is the uh, Three Sisters and About Love and Rep at the Sheen Center. Uh, did we have a... That's at Bleecker Street. Yeah. Do we have a closing date on that? Uh, I don't have one in front of me, but I'll throw one in the show notes if you're interested in that. So uh, that wraps it up for our reviews of the morning, but there was a lot of news this week, and um, mm -hmm. I asked Jan to come on for the one of the big announcements that we had this week, which was the 2022 Pulitzer Prize uh, winner in drama, Fat Ham, by James... What's his name? E. James or I. James? Or do we know how to pronounce it? I saw something that said it's pronounced Imes. Imes. But, okay. But I have no idea. It's spelled capital I-J-A-M-E-S. So his first yeah. name is James. Last name is I-J-A-M-E-S. Imes. Yeah. I, I so, would have said I-James, but something yeah. it said rhymes with Imes. So I don't Imes. know. Okay. So <laughs> either way, he's got uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner, Fat yes. Ham, which is... Uh, just uh, did did it just open at the public or is it about to open at it the public? It just started previews uh, just started. at the public and um, is opening in a couple of weeks uh, at the public theater. It um, it was in it. There was a production in Philadelphia uh, 
last year, I believe, that was streamed. Um, I did not see it. Um, I, uh, as I said, the previews have just started, so I haven't seen it at the public yet. I am scheduled to, but I haven't seen it yet. However, it is um, a, a, a riff on, as you might assume, a Hamlet. And this Hamlet is set in the South at a family barbecue, uh, uh-huh. a, a black family barbecue. Um, and a young black man is haunted by the death, the recent death of his father. And um, uh, the Pulitzer jury, uh, five-person uh, Pulitzer jury, was obviously really impressed with it. I know some people um, uh, worry or, 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 or question when a play has not been seen here in New York and wins the Pulitzer. But the Pulitzer is for the play, not the production, mm-hmm. the play. And so the jurors really read the plays and debate uh, the, the, the play. And they're looking for all kinds of things. They're looking for its use of language, uh, it's obviously it's storytelling, um, and often they're also looking for how it moves the moves advances uh, the, the whole concept, the whole world of theater, and also um, how the play uh, speaks to the times um, in which we live. I don't know how Fanham does any of this because I haven't <laughs> read it, I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but now I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, me the, too. The uh, Pulitzer jury for this year was uh, Misha Berson from uh, formerly of the Seattle Times uh, critic, uh, Brandon, Brandon Jacob Jenkins as a playwright, uh, Rob Weiner Kent, our friend over at American Theater Magazine, uh, or American Theater, actually. Um, David John Chavez, uh, he's the chair of the American Theater Critics Association, and he's at the San Jose Mercury News. And uh, Alyssa Solomon, who's a professor in, uh, uh, of journalism and director of the arts uh, at Columbia University. So there's the five people. Uh, the, not, the finalists uh, uh, were uh, Christina Wong, Swepshop Overlord, and Selin Kabul, both uh, highly uh, well-reviewed productions mm-hmm. both <laughs> in the in the in the past uh, year mm-hmm. or so so uh it's uh, it's really wonderful and uh there's a little trailer about fat ham uh, uh in the show notes as well so if you want to take a look at that and see what that's about and as uh, jan just mentioned just start a previews at the public theater so get down and see that before you can't get tickets to that yeah i imagine it's going to be a hot ticket now yeah Absolutely. So also in the in the awards mentions this week were the Tony nominations came out and uh, all three of you. Let's start with Peter. Any surprises here that you uh, were surprised about in the nominations? No, not really. Um, it all made sense to me. Uh, I, I couldn't really make very many arguments uh, pro or con. I, I wish that Mrs. Doubtfire had got more so that it would indeed uh, continue. It's very sad that it's going to be closing on the 29th because it deserves more than it got. And yet 
I mean, as good as everybody was in it, the parts in it aren't very large, um, compensatively speaking, to uh, to really warrant um, inclusion. You might say, well, wait, 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 he's got a wife. You know, what are you talking about? Uh, what about those kids? You know, yeah, I, I know. I know. And it's not a fault of the writing. It is not. And I do think that the writers really did a very good job of adapting the movie. And there are some things in it that I really thought were more skillful than the movie. And, you know, the other thing about Mrs. Doubtfire, watching the movie again, you wonder because of close ups in the movie, why nobody's figuring out that's um, the father. I mean, he looks too much like it. The makeup job on Rob McClure and being farther away from it um, makes you uh, not have that problem. So I would have liked more for Mrs. Doubtfire for a number of reasons, but I really can't complain about the nominations. And to be perfectly frank, I'm very glad that uh, Funny Girl was not nominated as best uh, musical revival. I thought that was uh, quite fair, uh, given the fact that it has been a disappointment to uh, so many people. But I was very glad for Jared Grimes, you know, who uh, who does a very nice job as Eddie Ryan. So, uh, so that's uh, quite fine, too. But yeah, it was inclusive uh, in the sense that there were more nominees than usual. It was interesting to me that the Layman Trilogy guys weren't all lumped together the way that um, the uh, Billy Elliots were, uh, they, or, or even going way back when the two guys in Philadelphia, here I come, that they're, they're really pitted against each other. And uh, we'll see if any one of them emerges. My guess is no, because usually when that happens, votes get split. And um, but, but still, uh, to find out that they each got a nomination on their own, as opposed to one size fits all, was of uh, more than moderate interest to me. Uh, Jan, how about you? Any interest? Any uh, comments about the nominations? Well, um, as Peter said, they were a really inclusive uh, a, a group of nominations in every way. Um, there were 34 productions that opened during the Broadway season and 29 of them got nominations. So, you know, it's sort of like, um, like a kindergarten class, you know, everybody gets a prize. <laughs> um, so there, you know, but that was nice. And particularly mm -hmm. in this season, this is Broadway's comeback season. It had to deal with COVID and restrictions and shutdowns and missing stars who got COVID. So I was happy to see that. It was also inclusive um, uh, in terms of the fact that 68 of the nominees were first-time nominees. 40 of the nominees were making their Broadway debuts. Um, we had... Uh, a large number of uh, people of color who were nominated and not just in the acting categories, but also in the design categories in direction. There were four women nominated for directing shows, Camille a. Brown for, for colored girls, Liliana Blaine Cruz, the skin of our teeth, Marianne Elliott company and Lucy Moss for co-directing six. Um, and I wonder if part of this, Oh, also, I also <laughs> forgot. Um, we had our first trans performer uh, nominated. And then there were two other uh, nominees who are non-binary. So uh, the, the nominators were really uh, embracing bringing in everyone. And 
part of this may reflect the fact that um, the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League, who oversee uh, the Tonys, required everyone who votes uh, in the uh, uh, four Tonys, that's 650 people, give or take, um, and the nominators are included in that group, everyone had to take unconscious bias training. And um, and maybe that resulted in the fact that they were open to all different kinds of um, people being uh, recognized. All right. Uh, that's a really good point. And I, I did not... Uh, maybe I did know that, but I didn't remember it, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, Michael, any thoughts about the uh, nominations? Well, you know, parenthetically, first, uh, I wanted to mention that Peter and I recorded our thoughts on uh, the skin of our teeth separately uh, last week. And when I listened back, I was uh, kind of surprised that we said almost exactly the same thing. Oh, is that right? <laughs> um, and uh, in particular, uh, um, um singling out Rosalind Ruff and Priscilla Lopez, uh, but also um, that we both had problems, uh, had issues with the performance of Gabby Beans uh, as Sabina, uh, although uh, Peter said it was specifically because she was speaking so fast, and I thought it was uh, more that she was yelling so much. But uh, I bring this up because regardless, she got a Tony nomination. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I was very happy about Rachel Dratch. Yeah, I was very, very happy about Jennifer Simard, who I think uh, Peter and uh, you know mm -hmm. uh, many other people agree with me is a comic genius. Um, the lack of Beanie Feldstein is quite note noteworthy, uh, mm -hmm. regardless of what you want to say about it. Uh, I'm I'm fully on board with the acting. Uh, awards the acting nominations for Lehman Trilogy, but I'll repeat again that to me the play was a terrific disappointment. Um, and I was sorry uh, that Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick were both shut out in the sense that I think they are doing exactly what they should be doing for that kind of a play and giving really excellent performances in the style that that play Plaza Suite requires. So um, that made me sad. Uh, what else do I want to say? Um, yeah, not, not to, not to be too negative, but if six wins best musical, <laughs> that to me will be a very, very dark day in theater history. I'm very serious because I think it's as a, as a piece of writing uh, it's almost worthless. And I, and there was the additional assault of the fact that it's so ridiculously over amplified. So you have terrible material being screamed at you, uh, you know, and the only thing uh, good I have to say about it was really that it was so short. Um, okay. So, um but nobody from the cast group was nominated, right? No. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Is this so the I, first time I've got to do some research to see if that's the first time this has happened. So if anything, I would say it should have been the opposite because there there were some people in it whose talent uh, might have been recognized, but certainly not the writing and certainly not the production. And I'm I would have been completely on board if Mrs. Doubtfire had been put in, put in instead. Uh, but anyway, I hope anything else uh, but six wins Best Musical. It's funny you should say that, Michael, because with the <laughs> um, 
uh, over amplification and not great material versus um, uh, a, a strange loop, which I felt the more and more I'm thinking about it and mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking about my my review of a strange loop, uh, which summary was is that it wasn't for me Hmm. Uh, I have seen so many people talk about the sound design for A Strange Loop and and it could be that I didn't like it because I didn't get it because I I, I missed a lot of the lyrics Hmm. and stuff and I have to think about that again because so many people are raving about this show hmm. and, and I didn't get it. Well, and, that is certainly possible. And, you know, I hate to say it, it could just be because of where you were sitting, because I don't recall having that problem so much, maybe a little bit, but not to the point where I would have brought it up. I just, I just had such a yeah. bad sound experience and mm. it just wasn't very good. I'm um, sorry to hear that. And so maybe I have to revisit that um, to to see if if I missed something somewhere, or if you know could just be it's not mm-hmm. the show for me. Right. I would but, also recommend listening to the to the cast absolutely uh, recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is how how I first encountered the show. Um, and I'm not sure if I would have been as much of a fan of it if I'd seen it first and then mm. heard it. Um, I'd already, already fallen in love with the score. Um, so when I saw it, it was, you know, I was already predisposed mm-hmm. towards it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, Jan, when, when we talked about it, I, I, I don't have that album yet, but I have to get it because I also love the score. <laughs> so uh, and- I, have a, I have a quick question for yeah. you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Paradise Square. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a show that I had some issues with, but um, came in uh, second with 10 nominations. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that Garth Drabinsky is back? Well, well, they're not doing business. They're yeah. not doing business. I saw it this week and Garth sat actually right in back of me. Wow. Ah. Uh, he does not look good. He's it just does not look good. Well, what is uh, the illness that that he has? Is it MS? Or is I it, don't know. Uh, well, I was, don't. I know he was a polio victim way back. Po- then. Oh, polio. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. There may be something else involved there too. Yeah. But no, I think Paradise Square is is an admirable musical. Yes, indeed. And um, I'm I'm very impressed with uh, virtually everything about it. Uh, not only the performances, not only the staging, not only the choreography, which I dare say will win, but also um, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fine. Fine. MJ. MJ has got uh, some. Pretty good choreography. I'm putting my money on music, man. Oh. Ah, ah, look at that. The throwing of the books. The throwing of the books in the knows, library. Most yeah. likely to throw a book. Well, to quote Michael, I will say the same thing that Michael always says. I'm terrible at predicting, you know, so. Well, me too. Well, that's yeah. what Michael I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, but uh, anyway, I really do believe that Paradise Square is a worthy musical. Uh, and uh, I really would love to see it get a couple of awards that would keep it uh, going because I do believe it deserves a much, much greater public than it's been getting. 
Oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, fine, fine. <laughs> I think that the horse race is between Michael Jackson and Michael R. Jackson. Well, there's no question that those are the front runners. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I don't expect Paradise Square to win Best Musical by any stretch of any imagination, but I do hope it gets a couple of things, and um, and I don't think the leading ladies are the question either. Do we think that the uh, the Lima trilogy is going to cross cancel themselves for getting so many nominations in the same category? Well, I well, certainly think in the best actor cat- in the yeah yeah, and not only that, I mean the fact that they're closed always is a liability. Sure, it's it's, it's, it's a liability. It's not a case closed situation, but it's a liability. I would love to have been in that meeting because they expanded the category <clears throat> yeah to accommodate having the three of them. Mm. I mean, that's a category of what, like six, seven Seven, uh, uh, nominees and no other uh, category has as many Mm. nominations Mm. as Best Actor um, does. So it it, it, in a play does. So that's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of, uh, again, uh, a lot of talk about an ensemble award. To, hmm. Is it time to add an ensemble award? Is it also time to take the genders away from the categories? I, you know, I wonder about. Th- oh, go ahead, Michael. I just, I just don't think that will ever happen because it would, it would just um, mean so many people would be competing in the same category, and it would, it would reduce the number of awards. Which, which maybe that in itself is is not so bad. But the first, that first what thing if I you, mentioned, uh, Lotels uh, did it. Lotels yeah. did away with I know, it, oh, and as a, result, as a result, there were two fewer awards, and I imagine that the person of the opposite sex felt, hmm, there should have been a, a best right. whatever award, <laughs> so I could have won it, you know, right. so. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you, uh, what about the uh, ensemble award? Any thoughts? Well, I think that it it applies so relatively rarely that that's probably why they won't reinstate it. And on that note, uh, I am surprised that several people suggested, I think someone mentioned earlier in the podcast, that um, that the three guys from the Lehman Trilogy might be nominated together. And they pointed to Billy Elliot, but that's a completely mm. different situation. I mean, that was... People yeah, playing the same, same role. role. Yeah. The yeah. shares, the share show. The sh- I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. No, no, uh, the shares. Uh, uh, Philadelphia, here I come. Um, way back when, I had uh, two guys uh, playing the private <laughs> character and the and uh, what he's what he's thinking and then what he's saying. Two different uh, mm. two different characters there. I may be wrong, but I think they were nominated as one. Well, what about Emily Skinner and, um, uh, and Alice Ripley? Alice Ripley, yeah. And yeah, weren't, they, weren't they together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were yeah. like one nominee, weren't mm-hmm. they? Weren't I think they? so. I think I they were, and I, I and but that's that's again yes. a third type of situation, <laughs> yes. and, and, which and, we'll uh, probably never see again, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, my thought about eliminating the gender categories mm-hmm. uh, is maybe they eliminate the gender categories but give two awards per category. Well, yeah, yeah, I did think of that. Although I don't know what would they call them. <laughs> well, it would be best performer. Yeah, but not only that, it's entirely possible that two people of the same gender will win. Yeah, of course. Know, so it'll they, you know. be two men. Well, it, yeah, well <laughs> I want to tell you, you know, I don't think that it's fair that only women quake when Audra 
gets gets a Broadway show. I think men should start to quake when Audrey gets a Broadway show. You know, it, it reminds me of the '60s when uh, there was a, a thing about grading. You know, A, B, C, D, F mm. in, in colleges, and they said it should just be pass fail. And then somebody said, well, it should be pass fail with honors and pass mm. and fail and <laughs> pass and fail with greatest honors, honors. And pass, well, arose by any other name, you know. So, <laughs> so really. Well, I graduated summa, so. <laughs> At a boy. A little more respect. Hail to the chief. <laughs> As did everybody else in my class. So uh, I think that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and our musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to frontpageofbroadradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to a finer podcast, you're going to find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, for Jan, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. If you want a transcript of this episode or any any episode on Broadway Radio, email transcripts at broadwayradio.com and include the episode name, and we will send you the transcript. So, Peter, what do we have uh, an answer for last week's trivia? Broadway musicals that were all later made into films include Higher and Higher, A Little Night Music, Mame, The Music Man, 1776, Sweet Charity, and Too Many Girls. But what else do these one-time Broadway musicals made into films have in common? Well, the person who directed the film had also directed the stage version. Higher and Higher, Josh Logan, A Little Night Music, Hal Prince, Mame, Gene Sachs, Music Man, Morton DaCosta, 1776, Peter Hunt, Sweet Charity, Bob Fosse, and Too Many Girls, George Abbott. Now, some will say, wait a minute, Tim Whelan directed Higher and Higher. And yes, he did get official credit for it, but all Hollywood knew that Logan took over the direction when Whelan was too busy producing, but as producer, he retained the credit. He insisted on it. So, Paul Woody was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, Ingrid Gammerman, Mike Iwanis, Brigadoon, and Fred Abramowitz. However, Steve Bell, Josh Israel, and Isaac Blevin all pointed out that each film had some member of the original Broadway cast, which nobody can deny, so they get credit too. This week's question, why are these musicals in this order? The Phantom of the Opera, Crazy for You, Aladdin, A Strange Loop, Carrie, Chicago, Miss Liberty, Hairspray, Fiddler on the Roof, 110 in the Shade, Anything Goes, and Dear Evan Hansen. Well, I can't wait to hear the answer next week because I have no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you have an idea, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com, and Peter will let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, as I think I mentioned, I have not yet seen Funny Girl. Uh, the day I was supposed to go, I uh, could not go because Ramin Karimlu was out. Uh, and he was, I wound up being out for 10 days, I think. So I rescheduled for the 21st and hopefully I'll get to see it then and nothing else will happen. Uh, but in the meantime, I was thinking back, I, I dug through my archives, my dusty archives, <laughs> and I have a audio, an audio recording of uh, the musical numbers anyway, of a production of Funny Girl that I was in. Ah. In, in 1979 on Staten Island, it was presented by the Staten Island Shakespearean Theater, which obviously didn't only yeah, do Shakespeare, yeah, apparently not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I don't think anyone would uh, characterize that book as Shakespeare. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, it really was quite a good production with a full orchestra uh, or near full orchestra, uh, actually conducted by a friend of mine who's, who I'm still in touch with named Jack Nisi. And I uh, thought I would excerpt two uh, sections of, of that recording. The opening music was, uh, I, I picked it specifically because this is the dance music that precedes the song Cornet Man in the uh, in the score as originally rent, uh, written and as presented, uh, you know, in the rental materials that we got at that time. I have not uh, seen the new production, as I said, so I don't know if this dance music is still in the show. And uh, it is credited to, well, it says dance music arranged by Luther Henderson, which usually means written by as well. And the melody of this dance music that that we opened the show with um, is not something that is heard in, in any of the songs of Funny Girl. So I don't know if it was written by Julie Stein. Probably not. Probably written by Luther Henderson. So that's the opening uh, section. And by the way, the fellow introduced, you can hear introducing it is uh, his name was Joe McMurray in the role of Eddie Ryan. And then for the closer, uh, we had a really, really good fanny, uh, someone with whom I did many shows, and her name is Diana Manorino. Uh, obviously, I guess, obviously Italian, not Jewish, but she had a really beautiful voice and she was uh, known for uh, several roles uh, over the years, uh, usually comic, uh, but not always uh, roles. And uh, she really, I I think you'll, you'll agree that she does a lovely job with people, uh, which is the excerpt that we're including. She um, made some moves towards a professional career. I remember she did, Greece at I think it was the Gateway Playhouse as Chacha Di Gregorio, and then I remember she played Golda opposite Jackie Mason. Wow! <laughs> in a production of Fiddler Somewhere that may have been also at the same play. I I, I can't. I it, uh, it wasn't easy for me to find that information. Jackie so anyway. Mason played Tevya. Yes. Yeah. Is this the first you've heard that? <laughs> Michael, I think you got to stop eating those pepperoni pieces before you go to bed and having these wild dreams. I don't. I don't think that I'm misremembering. You know, I'm not saying it was Broadway. You know. No, I know you're not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's correct. Um, so anyway, uh, she she Diana did not wind up having a professional career, but I think that she really did a wonderful job as Fanny Bryce in that long ago community theater production of Funny Girl on Staten Island. So here's a little excerpt of her singing people from that. All right. So on behalf of Jan Simpson, Michael Portantier, and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.
very special person.